The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. First word today about the weather. I drove uh, into studio here just a short while ago and I can tell you folks, it's dangerous out there and I'm just asking you to be very careful if you're out and about today. I have rarely felt the wind so strong. The gusts of wind are ferocious at the moment, accompanied by rain on the way in the afternoon. And we are getting word of trees down already in different places in the northeast. And that does not surprise me with the force of the wind and which will continue uh, today and into the evening. We'll have the forecast for you a little bit later on. But I ask you today... If you can stay put, do. Just stay where you are. Stay indoors. Unless you essentially have to go outdoors, do avoid it. And if you're out and about, be very, very careful indeed. Because it's wild, it's windy, ferociously windy and wet out there as I speak. So do take care. Just ask you to take care of yourselves. Welcome to the show this Tuesday afternoon. Lots of chat over the next couple of hours. As you know, I'm walking. Got the new runners. Yes, I'm going to talk more about that a little later on. Oh my God, what a change it was to get the new runners on my feet. Absolutely brilliant. But uh, I'm going to talk later on to Paddy Mulligan. We've met him before in late lunch. He's a brilliant physio. About the whole aspect of having the right footwear on when you're walking. There's loads and loads of people I know walking this last year. And as well about getting prepared for walking, what to do before and after and more besides. Paddy with us a little later on in the show. It's Enterprise Week next week. It was the last big event on in the North East that the public could attend last year. But it is going online this year. Karen Devine with us around about 230 Hypnobirthing. Sarah Chute. Yes, she is a woman, a local woman who's now living in the UK, who is a woman who's worked with lots of mums-to-be in this whole area. And she's a real advocate for it. And she's going to tell us all about it on the show today. Adele is my artist of the week. I have a great song from Adele and more of our story for you today. And again, if you'd like to join in the conversation, you need those numbers. I love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me directly here to studio. Or you can call in on 1850 715958. But as has been custom on late lunch for quite a time now, on Tuesday, starting the show, we take a weekly look at the COVID situation in the company of the Director of Human Health and Research Institute and Head of the Department of Biology at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Miner. Hello again, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, look, just to tell you, I had to go to my own GP yesterday late on in the day and they were buzzing in there because the vaccines had arrived and people were arriving uh, in the 85-year age bracket to get their vaccines one by one. And it was they were really in such great form, Paul, and it's great to see. But in some places, Paul, they've run out of vaccine when they've been in the middle of the job. It's a difficulty, isn't it, at the moment? It's great, great to see, first of all, Jerry, that it actually is being rolled out. So I think it's people some hope and positivity. And I think that's something we definitely need. Obviously, the supply is the key uh, limiting factor. We seem to be, once we get it in, we seem to be good at you know distributing and administering it. So it, it is the great hope that we have. And I think it, it will be, it, it will get us out of this. So, But it's great to see people and local people yeah, being able to get access to it. 
And, you know, there will be uh, bleeps on the road uh, along the way, but uh, we had it on our LMFM news this morning uh, that a practice on Fair Street in Drogheda uh, didn't get the delivery yesterday. You know, it's one GP surgery and they were disappointed and all the people, you know what I mean, um, were waiting and hoping to get it as well. That, that, is that going to be a, an aspect of it for, for a little bit of the time? I certainly hope not, Jerry, because uh, I think there is a like an incredible desire now to, as, as we get it in, to get it out as quickly as possible. And it's probably disappointing to hear that. So as soon as it comes in, we need to to get it out because we begin to see other countries, and obviously we're going to be comparing ourselves with other countries. But our nearest neighbour, like they're really forging ahead, and you've you've heard yesterday in terms of their plans to open up and open up uh, very quickly and. That does come on the back, now, whether that's um, too optimistic or too ambitious or not, or not prudent enough, that remains to be seen. But certainly that's on the back of the, va- the vaccination rates and the data coming out and some reports even yesterday from England and uh, and Scotland are really, really encouraging in terms of the real-world effectiveness of the vaccine. So certainly we don't want to see situations where mm. vaccines aren't arriving on schedule and, you know, disappointing people. And then the challenges that create in terms of reset scheduling. And yes. Certainly we have to minimise that as much as possible. And I, I don't think the the country and the public would tolerate it if it's, if it's not done in, in a very efficient manner. Yeah, well, I have to say, my GP's practice, no problem with supplies yesterday to, to be yeah. positive about this. Everybody who uh, had appointments was vaccinated, I believe, for the day and will be for the remainder of the week because they have a full week supply there. So let's hope that's just a, a blip uh, and everything will run smoothly from here on in. You mentioned those two studies, uh, transmission and hospitalizations down 70% after the first shot, down more than 85% after the second shot. That's great news. Ah, fantastic news, Jerry. And see some of the data coming out from there saying that even we were seeing really good effectiveness even after the first dose. This is sort of prompting someone, we sort of mentioned this previously in some of your previous shows, where prompting, you know, discussion around maybe should we vaccinate as many people as possible with the first dose, uh, since it seems to give really good protection. So I think that certainly will um, inform some of the discussion that will take place, you know, over the the coming weeks, but certainly really, really good news in terms of how protective it is and especially protecting against severe disease uh, and death and, you know, hospitalizations. And that really across all the board in terms of the vaccines that we've seen so far, they all seem really, really effective in that sense. Uh, the, uh, there is some concern in terms of, you know, the possibility of variants and mm. are the vaccines is equally effective against the variants. Uh, there may be some loss of effectiveness around the ability of the vaccine to prevent infection. But so far, I think a line is only crossed if we see situations where somebody has been vaccinated or somebody who's been previously infected ends up very severely ill with these variants. I don't think that has happened so far because I think our immune system is better. It, 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 it is so sophisticated and targets so many parts of the virus and so many parts of the, the vaccine and the vaccinated uh, protein. Uh, again, I would have hoped that even if some of these variants can bypass the ability of the vaccine to prevent infection, it's going to be very difficult to bypass um, the immune system completely. Uh, and hopefully, even with the variants, these vaccines are still going to protect us against severe illness and obviously reduce that burden on the health system. And with Johnson & Johnson, which we've touched on before, more information coming forward on that. It's gone for approval now in, in Europe. One-shot vaccine, really wonderful in, in trials and, and what it's achieved as well. And we'll receive around 2.2 million doses of this vaccine uh, following on from its approval. This would be a game-changer. 
Yeah, that would make an incredible difference. Incredible difference in terms of, as you say, Jerry, just a, a single dose rather than a double dose from a logistics point of view, and um, much easier in terms of storage, distribution. Again, ultra-cool temperatures uh, aren't required. Um, efficacy, really good efficacy, gives really good uh, protection. So all of those features show that, yeah, this is going to make a big, big difference. So if we can get hold of those, like a couple of million doses, that's going to make a big, big difference. And I think that will actually accelerate the, the, the rollout um, and can get us to a situation where most most individuals who are eligible and have been offered the vaccine, we should be able to do this by mid to late summer. And I think that that's what we need to aim for. Because as I said, we're going to, and the focus will inevitably fall, comparisons will uh, fall, and we begin to look across at the UK and actually up the road, you know, in Northern Ireland as well, where we, where we begin to look in sort of May, June, when most of their populations have been vaccinated, they see the benefits of that. I think we're going to be expecting that as well. So Johnson & Johnson, definitely that will make big inroads in terms of rolling out, you know, and in a very efficient manner. Um, a listener, Ray, has been on to me. He makes a good point, and it just uh, uh, refers to the UK announcement yesterday. I'll just read it to you, Paul, because it's an interesting point he makes. He says, it yeah. amazes me the amount of people who've said they're envious of the UK listening to yesterday's announcement. If anything, Boris Johnson is just as likely to be walking them into another set of restrictions down the line. That announcement yesterday was all about short-term political kudos, nothing else. As various scientists have already said, it's a potential car crash waiting to happen. Anyone envious of that approach, of that approach, uh, and its potential consequences, should really rethink. Now, that's an interesting comment there from Ray, and I know Johnson did say I was watching what he said last evening, and he was opening up yet with caution and saying that it might not happen on the days, you know, the, the landmark yep. dates that he set out, depending on how each stage goes. Um, they're cautious despite the fact that, you know what I mean, they have millions and millions and they lead the way with vaccinations. Yeah, I think it's actually been a very mixed, uh, you know, performance in terms of how the UK has managed. Up until this point, you'd have said that it managed very poorly. Because if you look at our debt rates, our debt rates are only yes. half part of the debt rates in the UK. So certainly in that sense, they haven't managed that situation well. But I think it's completely changed now in terms of with the vaccination. I think they've really got a really strong head start. They've secured enough vaccines. They seem to be running an incredibly, no matter what you say, they seem to be running an incredibly efficient uh, distribution and administration system. And people are getting vaccinated very quickly. Um, and I think they, they deserve enormous credit for that. I think they also deserve enormous credit around the variants. They've led the world really in terms of just genomic sequencing and identifying those variant. So I think we can be critical in terms of some aspects of that, but certainly in others, they've, they've, they've led the way. With respect to the risk in terms of what he's proposed, mm. again, I think those dates, I think some of them are indicated as the earliest possible dates. Uh, and it'll be really interesting, and I'll be watching really closely, and many will be watching really closely, not only the UK, but also Israel, in terms of as the vaccines are rolled out, in terms of how effective they are in the real world. So far, that data looks really, really impressive. One of the things that struck me, actually, Jerry, is, and maybe slightly alluded to, to, to your corollary's comments, is um, I'm, I'm surprised, I guess, in terms of, and with scientists as well, in terms of since uh, yeah, with the advent of the vaccines, the vaccines almost seem to be downplayed now in terms of their role, in terms of getting us out of this. My view is vaccines are how we're going to get out of this. And I think people who are downplaying the potential role of the vaccine in terms of getting us out of this pandemic, I think I'm missing the point. I think this is the way out of it. Vaccines 
we would be having a very, very different conversation if vaccines, if we, if we didn't have the vaccines that we have now. And mm. I think they've been incredible scientific achievements and I think they're going to be enormously effective. That's not to say there's not going to be challenges along the way, even with variants, but that is something, you know, these, they can re-engineered and again, there's always a constant race between technology and vaccine development um, and as the virus evolves, but certainly they're a really strong weapon we have in our armory to try to deal with this. Now, today is the day, Paul, when I presume Antishok Michal Martin will address the nation again uh, following the cabinet meeting and he'll uh, plot out what's to happen. Look at, they're preparing the way already. The bad news is out there. If there's anything better than what we've been fed or spun the last week or so, well, people will feel good about it and perhaps that's a strategy that they have. It's often one that's employed uh, with uh, major announcements. But it's looking like, you know, we'll be past Easter now and probably there's an understanding of that to avoid the Patrick's Day celebration and the Easter celebrations. It takes us path, past both of those significant occasions here in Ireland. But the caution is palpable, isn't it? Like what happened at Christmas is obviously right there in the forefront. And when you look at the, the figures, the way they went and everything, it, it's understandable. But are they being too cautious? I, I think it's understandable, as you say, Jerry. like before, before Christmas is such a shock to the country. Um, and I think some people say it was predictable in terms of numbers. I'm not so sure. I think there was, it was always expected that as you did release, you know, a number of the restrictions and allow people, especially people to mix again, households, that numbers, you would see an uptick in terms of numbers. To the same extent as we saw, I think it was sort of like a perfect storm almost in terms of, you know, people beginning to socialise again, the advent and the introduction, the arrival of the variant from uh, the UK. And then as well, you know, the time of year as well, where the transmission of these viruses, you know, are, are at their height. So I can understand that. I think it's almost led to a situation now where there's a danger that we're going to be paralysed by fear now. And I think that will lead to like extreme caution. So I think, and, and basically in terms of what we've heard so far, I probably don't expect much to change now for March, maybe schools. I think strongly schools should open up. I think in terms of what we're losing by having schools closed, it's just, it's just enormous. And I think there's an enormous price being paid there. I think as well, people in the country, I think they need some hope. I think they need to see that there is an end in sight. And again, coming back to the situation with the vaccines, I think with the vaccines, we need to give people more hope. I want to ask people in businesses and just give them hope that this is coming to uh, an end. But I think it will come to an end. Whereas at the moment, I don't think people can see an end. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I just, I've just sensed, I think the mood has changed over the last couple of weeks. I think maybe with some of these leaks and I don't think the government has done a good job in terms of managing that. But, you know, mixed messages have been coming out, even from very senior sources, you know, within the government. Yes. I don't think that's been, I don't think that's been helpful at all. And I think it's created confusion, fear. Uh, so I think we need a little bit more clarity, probably more positivity, I think. I think even since the vaccines have arrived, I've just sensed that, even questioning the vaccines, which we should, of course, but I think the mood has become a little bit downbeaten, I think, and I think we need a little more positivity and hope around this and look forward with with the rollout of the vaccines. Again, as we exit winter months into spring and summer, I believe that there's probably going to be a natural waning to some extent. We don't know how much with the new variant, a natural waning of the virus. So that I think by 
you know, late spring, early summer, I think we'll be we should be in a really good place. But it does come back the great what what we need, the great hope we have is the vaccines and all the folks and all the resources needs to be on that, in my view. I couldn't disagree with you. I said it here in the show yesterday, the mixed messaging, you have the Taoiseach, the would-be Taoiseach, the Green Party leader, uh, all coming out saying different things. It should be one voice and one message. And you're right, Paul, there is better days ahead and sooner than people think. We need the clarity and the positivity and I hope we get that beginning this evening. Just one final thing before you leave me today. A friend who had to go to the UK last week for um, a bereavement uh, uh, very close and and, uh, they just had to travel. We're over there. We're telling me that the antigen testing while they were there was amazing in the UK. Uh, Everywhere and free, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been very slow, Jerry. I know I've spoken a number of times to you about testing. I think we've been very slow to embrace technology, innovation, and the technologies that are out there. I think in terms of rapid antigen tests, for some reason, and I understand, for some reason, uh, you know, public health have taken this decision in terms of that it's not as good, it's not as sensitive as PCR. Nobody would argue with that at all. But in my view, there is a clear application, clear need clear niche to use this type of testing in situations where PCR is not available and it will allow us to pick up cases where presently we're not picking up and whether that's in terms of rapid testing to allow some businesses to open, whether it be in schools, I I believe there is need to look at that and to rule that out, whereas presently we're almost comparing that all the time with PCR. PCR is still our most sensitive test but there are situations, clear situations where PCR may not be available, and under those situations, I certainly think we should look at rapid antigen testing. It's not as sensitive, but importantly, it's sensitive when people are at their most infectious, because when you're at your most infectious, that's when you've got this virus, that's when these tests tend to pick up, you know, higher viral loads. So it will certainly work in that sense and work in breakouts, and, but I, I think there's certainly a role for them, and I think we've just been very slow in embracing them. I hope they're listening, Paul. Words of wisdom and sense every Tuesday on Late Lunch. We really do appreciate it. Paul, thank you once again, and uh, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. Very welcome, Jerry. Thank you indeed. That's Professor Paul Moyna there from Minutha University, Head of the Department of Biology and Director of Human Health Research Institute, and reminding you that he's one of our own. He's from RD in County Louth, and he's a fantastic man. He really, really is. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Don't forget the numbers to talk to us, 86 658 WhatsApp or text me. We're heading to our first short break of the afternoon. Back in a moment. OK, we're going to have a bit of crack on Late Lunch now. Are you ready to go? Do you know that the Cadbury's cream egg is 50 years old this year? Yes, the first eggs rolled off the line in 1971. 50 years! Can you believe it? I want to ask you a question. How do you like to eat your eggs? Your Cadbury's cream egg, are you a licker? Are you a dipper? Do you share it or do you just bang it into the gob and swallow it in one go? Question I have for you. You know the deep fried Mars bars? Yes, that's something that's offered in takeaways wonder if any takeaway deep fried the cream egg. Just interested. Anyone ever come across a deep fried cream egg in a takeaway? Another little question for you there. But anyway, we're going to have some fun. This weather, it's wild out there. I told you, mind yourselves, you're out and about today and it's still going to be cool for a few weeks in the springtime of the year. Couldn't you do it a snood? You could. I'll tell you, the LMFM snoods. They're fantastic. I must, I must get one off aiming myself for the walk and I need one. Anyway... 
We have snoods to give away on late lunch today, but you've got to know your cream eggs. So I'm going to give you three little questions over the next while. And I'll give you clues as well, but take note of them and then give me the three answers together. So here's your first one about the Cadbury's cream egg. 50 years old, golden jubilee this year. In Ireland, a Cadbury's cream egg is sold every how many seconds? You won't believe this. This is incredible. So look, if you want a little clues, just to guide you a little bit, is a Cadbury cream egg sold every two seconds, four seconds or six seconds? So two, four or six, which is it? Okay, write it down. Keep a note of that. That's your first answer I need. There'll be two more. And how do you eat them? I love a Cadbury's cream egg, I have to say. Well, I tell you how I eat it. It's very precise. It's my OCD. I take the top off like you take with, you know, if you're eating a real egg, just lop it off. I'll have that little piece of chocolate. Now, I love it with a cup of tea. And then I'll stick me tongue into the top of the egg and lick out the yellow and the, <laughs> the white creamy stuff. Oh, my God. I'm getting excited here even thinking about it. And I'll do that until I lick out all the egg. I have to eat that separately. No tea with that. I just enjoy that. The fondant and the inside. And then I'll take me time and then I'll just dig into the chocolate and finish it off like that. That's the way I eat the cream egg. How about you? How do you, how do you <laughs> eat your cream eggs? Let me low on late lunch today. 086-1800-658. Maybe you don't like them. If you don't like them, tell me as well. If you love them, if you eat loads of them. If you have anything to say on the Cadbury cream egg at 50, let me know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Is it two, four or six seconds? Think about it. Oh, Mary, you're an old devil. You really are. You really are. Oh, you're getting well used to this WhatsApp now, I have to tell you. Mary has just WhatsApped me in her egg and a steaming cup of tea beside it. And she's having it as we speak. Enjoying late lunch. Thank you, Mary. Antoinette, the same. Antoinette, lovely, lovely picture of your egg. Enjoying it at the moment. And Jerry Antoinette says, I want to tell you, I couldn't believe it, she says. I eat my egg exactly like you described a few moments ago. And Barney's been on to say, Jerry, I'm with you all the way. That's the way I like mine as well. There you are. So I'm not alone. James has given me a bit of a jip there. That must be one of a hell of a workout for you, Jerry, with that big tongue trying to get into that small cream egg. <laughs> Good on you, James. I only have a little tongue. Honestly, I really have a small one. That's it, to be honest with you. Truth, truth, honestly, honestly. Anyway, uh, your third question coming up for the snoods in a few moments' time. I've given you two already, one more to come. Stay with us on Late Lunch. And if you're just joining us, welcome to Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now we're heading across the water to uh, talk to my next guest. And she lives in the most beautiful part of the UK. If you've ever been to Torbay, not far from Torquay, you'll know what I'm talking about in beautiful Devon. Isn't she so lucky? But her roots are here in the North East and I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to Sarah Chute. Sarah, how are you? Afternoon, Jerry. Good to talk to you on the show today. And look, at I bet they've just put all cards on the table here. You have a tough act to follow because you are the daughter of the wonderful Kathleen Chute. I know. How do you follow that, eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yes, she's some woman. Ah, so, she's um, wonderful. Yes, yeah, she's, definitely. She's, she's great. Anyway, look, let's talk about you and what you do. First of all, would you mind telling me, how do you end up in that beautiful part of the world? Well, um, funnily enough, I was in Australia for, I lived there for a few years, and um, I just happened upon a uh, young Brixen man. 
um, while I was over there. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. I'd been over there for about, oh, by the time I met him, maybe four and a half years at that point. And um, then I, he moved back to Brixham and I thought, you know what, I've um, I've been and done Australia. I'm happy to move back across the, you know, to the other side of the hemisphere and then, um, yeah, that's it. Chapter. That's it. You see, this well, is well, the way it generally happens. People meet their life partner somewhere and they end up in one or the other uh, parts of the world where the uh, yeah. that partner particularly comes from. Brixham in Devon, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. So that's it. Uh, from uh, the uh, wilds of County Monaghan to Australia to where you are now. But look, yeah, we're talking. very, very lucky. You're lucky. Look at, look at all those beautiful yeah. places you can <laughs> put on your CV and say, I've lived there. Listen, we're talking today to you about hypnobirthing because you are a hypnobirthing instructor. Now you have two children, one is four and the other is 18 months. Did you hypnobirth on both of them? No. So my first child, um, I didn't. Um, I was aware of hypnobirthing, but for some reason or another, um, I didn't actually engage with it properly. And, um, And I won't say that I had a horrendous birth or anything, but it definitely wasn't a case of feeling calm or confident or um you know i definitely uh, struggled quite a lot uh, mm. during the labor and um you know i had to have an assisted birth then because um yeah i just didn't Yes, um, yes. And I wasn't, wanted to just... feeling like I could do it. Yeah, so. and I, I wanted listeners to understand that. So your first child wasn't, uh, hypnobirthing wasn't involved in the birth of your oldest. And as you said there, uh, it wasn't straightforward for you. So... Did that in itself turn you towards hypnobirthing for the second or, or what was it? Yeah, I mean, because I was aware of it and I knew um, off the benefits of it, I just, you know, after having my first birth, I just thought, you know, there has to be more to this. Um, I've, I'd, I'd read stories of people who had, who had um, used hypnobirthing and it just seemed, you know, there, there's, there's truth to this mm. and there's... Um, um, there has to be more to it than what, you know, society sometimes kind of makes it out to be this airy-fairy. Sorry, yes. Uh, airy-fairy, kind of almost a hippie-ish kind of trendy thing that people have uh, taken up. Um, but, I mean, that, it couldn't be further from the truth, really, because it's so scientific-based and it's... Um, yeah, it's just there's so much to it that yes. I couldn't really um, not. I've just felt, you know, if I'm going to uh, go into a a birth again, I'm going to be so prepared and I'm going to do what I need to do to enjoy it as far as I can and to feel confident and calm and just to, yeah, just have a positive birth. Yes, and the second time round, having studied this and applied all aspects to it and having a hypnobirth itself for your second child, was it night and day when you look back at the oldest child and the second one? Oh, goodness. I mean, it, you you couldn't actually, you know, they, they were so, so different. Um, just my whole feeling towards it going in, I just fully 100% believed in my ability the second time around. And there was absolutely no doubt whatsoever that I was going to be capable of birthing my baby and to do it in a, you know, the way I wanted to do it. Um, and to, um, yeah, just for it to be 
a a joy and and sorry a joyful experience. Mm. Now you um, mentioned confidence. Yeah. You mentioned confidence. I'm hearing that word. That's a big thing. Yeah. I know what they say. You know, and and God Almighty, how can I speak as a man? Sure, I haven't a clue what you know uh, women go through when they actually do give birth, and it's you know it's 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 a, it's a huge thing. So there's no surprise. Don't really appreciate. It. I know that. But look, confidence is what I'm hearing you say a lot, and it prepared you with that. What else? What were the other benefits? Did it shorten your labour? Did you need an intervention the second time that you mentioned with the first one? What? Uh, I mean, no, yeah, so there was no um, intervention needed whatsoever. I did. A, I had a home birth as well. So it was basically just a case of, you know, labour starting, being very aware of what my body was doing, um, you know, the processes that were happening during the labour. And, you know, um, knowing the physicality of the body and what the birthing body, you know, does in labour and those intense sensations that we feel that, you know, knowing that they are, you know, part of the process and not not being afraid of them. And when you do the hypnobirthing, you can you can almost welcome the contractions or we like to call them surges, just um, has a, a, a softer tone to it. But, um, yeah, you can welcome them because you know what they're doing and why they're necessary. So, you know, the more you have and the more you feel them operating in your body, you can sense that your baby is getting closer to you and um you know that's what it's all about at the end of the day so um so yeah um in terms of how it prepared me for the um the birth um of Finnan absolutely chalk and cheese Yes, um, between the first uh, and and the second. Um yeah. What is it? Is is it, you know, hypno? Is it purely hypnosis? Um well no, it's not. I mean, the name in itself might um, you know, sway people into thinking that it's not for them. But um I mean, hypnosis in itself I think is a little bit misconceived. Um you know, I think people have it in their heads that it's this uh, dramatized, you know, things that you might have seen on TV like Paul McKenna show or yes. if you're on holiday and there's a stage show and people are doing ridiculous things. Um I mean, uh, at the end of the day hy- hypnosis will only ever be self hypnosis and if if it if something is suggested to you while in a state of hypnosis that you do not agree with to your core then you won't uh, participate any for- further yeah um you know that's just how it will be you will stop engaging with what you know is being um proposed to you but um in terms of how it affects uh, birthing and why it's even involved in birthing um, I mean, people are so embedded in this sense of fear when it comes to childbirth. And, um, you know, it's kind of bombasted into them from early yep. years. Um, you know, what you see on the TV and what you read and people's stories. And absolutely, there have been absolutely, like such horrible stories for people who have uh, had negative birth experiences. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to say, I know from my, my own experience that it, it can be quite a horrible experience if... If, um, you know, you're not prepared and you're not able to uh, remain calm and, you yeah. know, comfortable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just in terms of how hypnosis, um, you know, it, I think it's necessary just to be able to rewire the brain a little bit and to retrain it into, um, you know, dealing with any fearful thoughts or beliefs yes. that are there in relation to childbirth and, you know, spinning them to be more of a positive. Yeah, so it is um, It is a technique and it can be taught. And, you know, the partner, I, I was reading as well, it involves your partner. 
you know, you might think this, so, that you yeah. might think that it's only for the mother who's going to deliver, but the partner can be involved in this as well. And I think that would be a large part of why I didn't do it, do it the first time round as well, because obviously there is an expense involved with things like hypnobirthing. And I just, you know, things that I wasn't sure that my partner would have been fully on board with because... Again, you know, he wasn't really aware of it. And I think he was of the opinion of, you know, as, as a lot of people, that it was that kind of airy-fairy, um, you know, um, nothing scientific about it kind of thing. Mm. So um, I didn't broach it so much with him. And I knew that he was obviously anxious because it would have been our first baby. And, he, you know, the what-ifs were coming up for him. Yes. So I didn't do it with the first baby. But where second time around, I thought, you know what? <laughs> Either he's on board or he's not, but I'm doing hypnobirthing. <laughs> and if he wants to be there and supportive, fantastic. But if not, then, I, it's, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, so he, uh, but he was fully on board. Great. Uh, we, went, we went to a course and he is actually so much more of a ambassador now as well. For yeah, that's great to hear. It really is. Can pain relief measures and hypnobirth work simultaneously? Sorry, can what? Sorry. Pain relief? pain relief measures and hypnobirth, can they be both incorporated into the delivery of a baby? I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, hypnobirthing, again, probably a misconception around it is the idea that it's all about, you know, avoiding pain relief and avoiding intervention and keeping it natural. Um, It it 100% incorporates all types of birth and birth choices. Um, so if it comes to somebody getting to a point where they're thinking, you know what, I do feel like I need a bit of help or um, this is just at a point where, um, yeah, I need um, I need something to to relieve the discomfort or the pain, then absolutely um, they, they can coexist uh, 100%. And, um, you know, I think in, in certain elements of, of birth, hypnobirthing will always, have a, a place, you know, at any point, whether it's in, you know, even pregnancy. Yeah. Um, hypnobirthing can largely reduce um, the uh, the levels of stress or fear or doubt. And um, it can definitely, um, you know, reinforce the, the uh, attitude of the person that they are um, designed to basically give birth. Yes, yes. And, um, and as you and said there, if there are issues that arise during, uh, you know, the time when the baby is uh, coming into this world and the emergency measures have to happen, they happen anyway. This doesn't preclude any of that. I hear what you're saying there as well. Um, what was I to say to you uh, about it? You are a practitioner now. You've qualified in this. Um, if there's a third time, you'll be hypnobirthing, I take it. I mean, I'm not sure there will be necessarily. Yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah, no, yeah, happily, yeah. Yes. happily give birth again. Yes, <laughs> but, okay. Uh, I understand. I, 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 uh, yeah, I think I'm only being a devil to... there. You know, I'm only being That's a devil, okay. Sarah. That's all That's I am. Okay. But yes, 100%. Uh, yeah. I would, uh, I'd, I'd almost like to have another baby just to, you know, because I feel like now that I'm an instructor, I've yes. come even f- further in the hypnobirthing um, knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. To prove um, the point. Yeah, there you are. You've yeah. something to do now. There's something to aim for to <laughs> prove the point. Oh, come on. I'm only having the, I'm, I'm only, you know, having the crack <laughs> this afternoon. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's the old devil McHare in me. Anyway, you're going great. You're a great advocate for it. And your your business name is Before You Birth. Where can people That's check right. you out? Is that it there? Before You I, Birth? 
Yeah, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yes. So I have a lot of uh, information about my courses uh, available on there. Great. Um, but then if anybody did want to get in touch, they can get me at sarah at beforeyourbirth.com as okay. well. Lovely. Um, but yeah, that's that's me and my... Uh, I have birthday. Sarah at beforeyourbirth.com. You're lovely. I know well now uh, where the stamp of Kathleen Tude <laughs> is certainly on you too. Look, it's great to talk to you, Sarah, today. I wish you well and uh, it's good to hear uh, that uh, from the first baby to the second, the differences that you explained there and how hypnobirthing has helped you. Thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch. Thanks a million, Jerry. Thanks for Take having me. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the lovely Sarah Chute there speaking to me from beautiful Tor Bay down. We have in Devon and Cornwall. It's an ambition of mine to go there. I've never been there. Uh, but when you just look at the images and the places, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. The Cadbury's cream egg is 50 years old this year and I'm testing your knowledge on the eggs. Look... I'm I'm kind-hearted, I really am. I will mention the first two clues again, just for today and only for you, because I'm an old soft heart. I am Eamon, I'm a soft heart, I'm going to do it. Eamon's going to kill me, but I'm going to do it anyway. In Ireland, a cream egg is sold every two, four or six seconds. Take your pick, two, four or six seconds. How many are produced in an hour? How many eggs produced in one hour at the Cadbury factory in Bourneville? 66,000, 68,000 or 70,000. And your third clue... I know you have the two already, but here's your third question. I need the right answer and then send all three in to me. If you laid all the cream eggs from end to end, from where they're made in the UK to Australia, right? To Australia. Which city would you touch in Australia? All the cream eggs made in the year from Bourneville to this city in Australia. Which city is it? Is it Sydney, 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 Perth or Adelaide? Which one is it? Now, three answers, please, to 086-1800-658. Come on with your answers. WhatsApp or text me now and we'll pick winners before the end of the show. Ah, eggs, the cream eggs. I absolutely love them. And you love them too. I have lots of messages here from you coming in about the eggs. I'm going to get them in a moment. The cream eggs, Jerry, that I remember were not gooey like the ones now. They were bigger and in two halves and the filling was like a more firm marshmallow, says Pat in Dundalk today. Do you know, Pat, I remember those eggs as well. And I think they came in a silver foil with red stripe uh, wrapping on them, if I'm not mistaken. And they were lovely too. You're right. They were lovely. They were beautiful, beautiful eggs. They went out of production. I don't know who made them, but thank you for reminding me that there was another type of of egg as well. That's true. Yeah, there was indeed. And I remember those well. Your answers are flying into me here. Wish you luck with them. Anyway, gave you the three questions. Keep them coming. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Uh, now, Jerry, I listened to your show uh, while you and part of our country ran down school, school teachers. Shame on you. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their workplace. I don't hear anyone asking about the people who are working all through this pandemic that don't work in hospital or in retail. There are thousands of people in this country that should be back to work. Only the PUP payment is too attractive. They're too well off on this payment and working uh, and working well off on this payment and working so much for protecting people around them. 
I thank you for your comment and I hear what you have to say, but I disagree with you completely. People want to work and they want to get back to work and they're on PUP because their businesses can't open. They just can't open. So they're on the PUP payment. They can't go to work. The majority of businesses are closed. I have to clarify that. That's the reason. There may be some people happier on the PUP because they're getting more than normally they get when they're working. And that's just a fact of life. It really is. It's the way it's fallen. The deck is uh, cut at this stage. But, you know, you talk about in that comment there uh, about being safe at work. If you're in a hospital as a nurse, a frontline worker, a doctor, a person in there serves up the dinners, who cleans the hospitals, who uh, help people around the hospital, you're at mighty risk every day and you're at work. And the retailers, you said, all the people in retail, the Guardi, the emergency services, people in our shops and that, they face this danger every day. I accept that. But I encourage you again, because I did have a go and I don't change my opinion on that one little bit, to be honest with you, no, never will. And it was Brenda Power that set me thinking with her article in the Sunday Times. And you should read that was two weeks ago. You should read the Sunday Times this week and the letters page and just see what's said and how that reflects the reaction of my listeners here on Late Lunch, the majority of them, to the teacher stance. And what I was talking about was, again... They went into talks on the leave insert, they were only out the door and they were pulling the rug from under the minister immediately. That was shameful, absolutely shameful. And I say again, and I call for it again, don't hear this from the teachers' unions. Vaccinate all teachers as priority, please. Vaccinate them and have them in protected as much as possible that they can go to class and teach. And let me say again, my friends' teachers, they're wonderful teachers, the teachers working their asses off at this time. I know that as well. But come on, those bloody unions. And remember, unions and executives are elected by members as well. So you do have a say if you're a teacher within those unions. But the teachers unions for years have got away. They're unions with blue bloody murder in this country and have been allowed to do so. And I think one comment I got that came in to me did, you know, it sort of hit the nail on the head. Look at the doll, Jerry. Look at the amount of teachers, look at the connections with teaching in there and you can understand why they've got away with more there. And I think even with the national wage agreement, people are getting a rise (laughs) well for them. And I see the biggest union in the country have accepted it today. I think one of the unions, one of the teachers unions, I could be wrong there, but I'm nearly sure it's in my mind, have not accepted it, have rejected it at this time when we're billions in debt and heading for the rocks with the economy. Don't get me started again. Yes, a spade's a spade with Jerry Kelly on late lunch. You better believe it. Back in a moment. As I sit here today, I reflect on almost a year ago to the day. It was the last event that I had the privilege and honour to compare. It was in the Monaster Boys Inn and it was the culmination of local Enterprise Week in Louth a year ago. Isn't it hard to believe? So what happens when 200 events for businesses normally happen across the Wee County in five days and there's a pandemic. Today on Late Lunch, we're catching up with the event producer, Karen Devine, to discover how local enterprise offices are still making it happen with a virtual local enterprise week. Karen, good afternoon again. Hey, Jerry. Good to talk to you. God, it's hard to believe that 12 months have gone by, and I think you're like myself. You've been in the bunker since. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been a completely different year in that sense. You know, like in our job, normally we're out and about all the time, meeting people and planning and managing events. So, uh, 
managing everything virtually has been a very, very different experience. So, in the context of where we are, what's planned for next week? Well, you know what? The local enterprise offices were more determined than ever. I mean, Enterprise Week is normally such a positive, dynamic event, uh, a week with so many events taking place across the country. And I think... Bearing in mind the challenging year that businesses have had, the local enterprise offices were more determined than ever that local enterprise week should go ahead. So here at a local level in Louth, there's a whole variety of free events taking place for business. Obviously, all the events are online, so it, it means everybody's nice and safe. But actually, it probably also means that you can get to more events this year with local enterprise week because you can do so from the comfort of your own laptop. So from Monday to Friday of next week, there's a whole variety of events going on. Uh, The first one, obviously, throughout the week, there's business advice clinics where uh, local businesses can book in and have a private one-to-one appointment with a mentor. There's a couple of different areas. There's a general mentoring, there's finance, accessing finance, or there's Brexit. So if you're finding the challenges of Brexit are really starting to impact on your business, you can have a one-to-one appointment with a Brexit mentor. And then on Monday afternoon, uh, DKIT, Dundalk Institute of Technology, are doing a fabulous online session outlining what supports the colleges can offer to businesses in the region. So that's a really, really good way to open your eyes as to what kind of supports are available within, uh, within the county from the college. And then uh, on Tuesday, there will be a brilliant uh, two-hour two seminar with Jason McGee of Jazzcom on email marketing. And again, in this era of virtual business as such or online business, being able to market yourself effectively online to customers really matters. So then throughout the rest of the week, Wednesday is another busy day. The cybersecurity uh, event is taking place, hosted by Dundalk Chamber. Miriam Simon, you're regular on the show. Oh, yes, she was with us yesterday. She was, exactly. So she's going to be doing a session with us uh, on Wednesday morning. Uh, And again, that's a really good one for retailers you know, making sure you move out of that kind of negative mindset of the challenges that we're facing and really start looking for opportunities. And then on Wednesday evening, I'm hosting an event um, on behalf of local uh, Network Loud and the local enterprise office with the uh, leadership expert, Joanne Hessian, and we'll be talking all things business, community, team, family, how we use leadership in our lives to actually enhance and build our own strengths and our own abilities. Then on Thursday morning, Dundalk Drogheda Chamber are going to be uh, hosting a very special morning time event. Keith Byrne from create108.ie will be helping businesses to look at how their website helps them to communicate to their customers. So is their website really working and communicating their brand? There will be a focus on lean then, which is a great process for enhancing your productivity and efficiency in your business on Thursday afternoon. And then Friday, we'll wrap with a digital marketing strategy. So again, Francis Burling will be doing a morning session of how businesses can really drive their message online and help to raise visibility yeah. and open up new markets. So, so those, lots. that's just the local Yeah, options, that's so. only the local. We'll come on to the national ones in a minute. But just in a general sense first, what, what's the importance of Local Enterprise Week, Karen? Oh, Jerry. I mean, when you think about SMEs and the role they play in the Irish economy, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's I think that at the last count, there's about 700,000 people in Ireland who are employed within SMEs. They're small businesses, but an awful lot of those people are actually working alone or are, you yeah. know, small management teams themselves. And I think one of the key elements of Local Enterprise Week is to lift you out of the business 
and to remember that, you know, to, to allow you to connect with other people, to remember that other people are dealing with the same challenges that you're dealing with, and to remind people, actually, that there is mentoring, support, training, advice available to them, and not to try and have to do this all on their own. Um, and I think the more we put ourselves in a growth mindset, in a learning and development mindset, the much further and faster we'll grow and develop within our businesses. And if you're listening today and you are that person, a sole trader working alone, you've never engaged with Enterprise Week, what do you say to people like that? Is the door open for them this coming week to become involved? Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. You know, you've nothing to lose. Your local enterprise office is the one-stop shop for you. It's the first port of call for anybody in business. There's a local enterprise office in every county in the country. Uh, Here in Loud, it's localenterprise.ie forward slash Loud. So there's all sorts of training, mentoring, networking, events, supports, all sorts of things happen all year round. And that would be my key message. Don't do this on your own. Look for the supports and advice that are out there because, you know, just don't overthink it. Just go for it. Uh, Visit localenterprise.ie forward slash loud. Book a place at an event and discover all the various supports that are available for you. And if you're listening today in County Meath, of course, uh, the other big county in LMFM's area, or the surrounding counties where we have lots of listeners in business, I think of uh, Monaghan, Cavan, Dublin, etc., go to uh, localenterprise.ie and your own county details will be there and you're welcome to get involved. And it's a very important initiative uh, next week. You, You were telling us about the local aspect, but I'm just looking at the list of, you know, the engagement there will be across the country. And the big issues are all there. Sustainability, uh, the supports for pivoting businesses at this time. Agriculture is not forgotten. Agri-tech is there as well. And the other thing as well, you know, the psychology of leadership and business management. God, there's a lot there, but all that's been covered off, isn't it, Karen? Right, and you see, that's the beauty of it. Like, the local enterprise officers looked at it this year and said, OK, so we can do what we can do locally, but how can we expand it? So instead of kind of saying, OK, well, that'll just be fine, they said, and then what they've done is they've teamed up with other local enterprise offices around the country to make events available. So there are 10 of these spotlight events, which uh, are national events that anybody can attend from around the country. And as you say, they tackle all sorts of topics. But there are two, over 200 events happening next week as part of Enterprise Week. The one that you mentioned there about sustainability, Jerry, is a really interesting one because... On Monday morning, the uh, local enterprise office in Dublin City will host an event for the Leos all around the country. But it's going to feature this new green for micro sustainability support that's available for small businesses. So oftentimes small businesses think that sustainability and going green is something for big industrial businesses. But actually all of us can make a difference in that way. So this new green for micro support uh, will be launched at Monday morning's event um, and it's a really interesting new support and offering for SMEs uh, that's being brought, that's being rolled out by the local enterprise offices. It's a lot and, and a whole lot in there, but you can pick and choose, mix or match yourself as you please. Can I ask you this just as an aside, and you're a business person yourself, as an event producer, your industry in particular, I mentioned at the start, has changed beyond all recognition, as we know, in the last year. What would have been the biggest surprise to you, you know, to take something positive or maybe a number of things out of what was a bleak and is a difficult situation? Oh, that's a good question. So I suppose there's two elements to it. For me, I would say the first thing is how we as an industry, how quickly we adapted. So 
there has been some great technology out there available for the last while. But I think there would, if we had been suggesting it to clients, there would have been a resistance to take events online. Whereas once COVID hit, it was about what's possible, you know. And I suppose for me, the big surprise as an event producer, I love the element of bringing people into a room and the chemistry that happens there, the conversations that happen so organically. But actually, I've been really surprised at how engaging online events can be. Um, we hosted National Women's Enterprise Day back in um, October on behalf of the local enterprise offices, and we had over 2,000 women from all around the country taking part in it. And perhaps the biggest compliment for the National Women's Enterprise Day team was that it didn't feel virtual. And that's the thing, that mm. with online events, you if you really think about it and put good work and planning into it, you can really create that sense of connection between people and open up those little magic opportunities that might uh, have happened once we were all in a room together. Ah, you know, that's great to hear people adapting and, and uh, you know, the online where lots of us spend the majority of our time now being engaging. It, it really is good to hear. Oh, Karen, I had a guest on a few weeks ago. He's a wonderful man. And he was just saying after lockdown, we'll be like, you know, when cattle are in for the winter and being fed and they're let out on the spring grass, which will happen in a few weeks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what I we'll think. be like. We will. Absolutely. My sister lives in Sweden and like that, all the townies go all out to the country <laughs> on the day that the cattle are let out yes. and, the, and the cattle dance around the field. Exactly. <laughs> that's the way we'll be for that's, sure. Well, anyway, I won't be on YouTube doing it. <laughs> it could be a sensation. Yes, <laughs> like the Jerusalem. It could be indeed. Anyway, there's a thought for you. Just before you go, remind them again where all the information about events and taking part is. Absolutely. So localenterprise.ie forward slash loud is the website and you'll find uh, information about the local and national events there. All the events are free. They're all online so you can take place, you can take part in the comfort and safety of your own space and all I would say is that this week is designed for people running small businesses. So give yourself some time, some space check out the schedule, book yourself into a couple of events and make some time for you next week. You won't regret it. Karen Devine, wish you well with the week ahead. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Jerry. I want to dedicate that last song, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen, to Sheila Maloney. Ah, she's a great friend of LMFM Radio, and I'm sorry to hear that Sheila's in Beaumont Hospital at the moment, and I wish her a speedy recovery. And I know she's tuned in listening to us in Beaumont today, I'm sure, promoting LMFM with all the people there. And uh, that request comes in uh, from uh, your son. Uh, sorry, it comes in from Karen Barry, Jackie, Patrice and Jared, all of them send in that request. Wish you well today. And we join in that here on Late Lunch and all across LMFM Radio. Sheila, to wish you all the best. Do get well soon. You're a wonderful, wonderful woman. And I have another birthday there to mention today. It's Anna Marie Corrigan. It's her birthday today. Happy birthday to you. She's from Castle Bellingham. And that comes in from Mam and Dad in RD. Loving the show, Jerry. Thanks indeed for your lovely words there. I was so sorry to hear this news today because many's an evening I spent in it enjoying my tea. Where am I talking about? The Roma in the heart of Dundalk. And Mama Roma, Bernardina Grossi, has passed away. And I'm really sorry to hear the news. And when I saw her picture, oh my God, I remembered her so well. Many times did she serve me me mixed grill and chips on the Roma. The chips, the Roma in Dundalk and the, the soft egg. 
the rashers and sausages. I see when I was in DKIT, I studied there when I left school and I was back uh, adult education. I did a degree there and then went on to do a master's in Belfast. But we spent, what was it, three years in DKIT, evening uh, classes uh, with some great friends. And we used to go there once a week for our tea to the Roma. And I can tell you, I can still taste it. And oh, the atmosphere of the place and the food, it was just something else. And the jukebox, of course, in the corner as well. It had everything. It really had. And such a homely and welcoming feel to it. And the food was always brilliant. I want to remember Bernardina Grossi from the Roma in Dundalk on late lunch today and extend our sympathies to, to uh, Giuseppe, her husband, and children, Angelo and Innocenzo. Uh, we are really sorry to hear of Mama's passing. She was absolutely lovely and a legend in Dundalk. Really a legend there. And they're there from the early 70s, of course, in the town. But we remember her and I remember her from my time there on late lunch this afternoon. Now, I was talking earlier on about the golden goobly of the Cadbury's cream egg. Yes, it's the golden goobly. Do you know that? Yes, 50 years they're making Cadbury's cream eggs. And did you know this? That the eggs, and actually I saw them, I did see them this year. The first eggs are on the shelves when? When would you think they appear on the shelves? Stephen's Day. So they're making them before that. Christmas is just over. The cream egg is in on Stephen's Day. And they're not delivered after Easter. It goes right up to Easter, to uh, Easter itself. And that's it then for another year. Over 500 million cream eggs are made every year. Isn't that just something else when you think about it? And thank you for all the messages to the show uh, because, you know, you eat your eggs in your own particular ways but many eat it the way I eat the egg. I told you there a little bit earlier on. You do, you do, you do. Didn't hear about anyone. I don't think they're deep fried. The Mars bars is the deep fried thing that I'm talking about, isn't it? Yes. 1971, they first appeared. And thank you to everybody who's joined in the fun today and answered the three questions I put to you. I'm going to give you the answers after three in the show and we'll pick a couple of winners for the snoods as well. You love them. I'm, I'm trying to get one off Eamon for myself for the old walking. I'm going to be talking about the walking on the show. If you're checking out our Facebook page, you will have seen that I got a brand new pair of runners yesterday and I put them on me uh, last evening when I went for the walk and I did say it in the remark that I made. There's no doubt about it. It was like... The old runners I was walking in, <laughs> compared to the new ones, it was like having tyres on your car last night when I went for the walk, rather than walking on the rims. It really was, folks. Oh, they were a joy. Now, I'd been out through the country over the weekend, but back in town last night for a lovely walk, and will be this evening. It's going to be challenging this evening with the old rain. But just to tee it up, after three and late lunch, we are joined by a physiotherapist. He's a great guy. I know him well, Paddy Mulligan. And he's going to advise me about footwear and preparing for walking during walks and afterwards as well, and a lot more besides. So if you have any questions, because many people are out walking the roads and everywhere at this time, Paddy is with us on the show. And of course, my artist of the week. Oh, she's something else, isn't she? The wonderful Adele. Yes, I'm going to continue the Adele story and play probably the song here on LMFM radio that's synonymous with Adele. It was the first one we played and my God, ever since. Look at all the hits she's had on the albums that she's released as well. But that's all to come after three o'clock on the show. If you want to get in touch, remember the numbers 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me to the show or if you want to call in, it's 1850 
Stand by for the egg answers after news, sport and weather at three. Okay, here's your answers. Yes, Cadbury's cream egg. It's the golden goobly of the egg. They're 50 this year. And I was telling you all about them through the show this afternoon. And the stats are these. And these were the questions I put to you. In Ireland, one Cadbury cream egg is sold every four seconds. Cadbury makes in an hour how many cream eggs was it 66,068 or 70 66,000 eggs an hour and if you stretched all the cream eggs in a line from the Bourneville plant in the UK to Australia which city would it touch in Australia if I put them all in a line would it be Adelaide Perth or Sydney Sydney was the answer I was looking for so four 66,000 and Sydney and there are snoods today going to Tracy Dooley Jamie Dillon and Antoinette Connor. Well done to all of you. Lovely LMFM news. And thanks to everybody who joined in the fun. It was tough, it was tough with those, even the multiple choice answers. I know that. But anyway, there's our three winners on late lunch this afternoon. And some of your comments. I love this one. You're clever people. You really are. Jerry, I have an idea. We should get Cadbury to roll out the vaccine. <laughs> I know what you're saying. If they can produce so many eggs so quickly. I love it. Jerry, I was at the Cadbury uh, place in England a few years back. We did the tour. They didn't even give us an egg. We had to buy two. But you know what, Jerry? When I heard you talking about them there in the show, I cracked open one and I've just eaten it. Lucky you. Thanks for getting in touch with me. And many people agreeing with me to say teachers should be priority for vaccinations, Jerry. There you are. Now, my artist of the week this week is Adele. And as I mentioned yesterday, she was born in May 88 in Tottenham. Uh, her mum was Penny Adkins and she reared her on her own because her dad, Mark Evans, a Welshman, parted ways with the mum when Adele was just two. She played guitar as a youngster and sang and credits the Brit School of Performing Arts in Croydon with nurturing her talent. And her talent was spotted and signed up quickly, as I mentioned yesterday. Her first and second albums, 19 and 21, were absolutely huge. And in 2008, she did a deal with Columbia Records, which launched her and her music in the US. But listen to this. She cancelled her first much-anticipated... My God, and it got me mixed up there. Yes, she cancelled her first much-anticipated US tour to be with, listen to this, her boyfriend. She now calls it her early life crisis. And really it would be a window into the future of the volatility that's been part of her life and career. With all apparently lost stateside, an appearance, a once-off, on Saturday Night Live in October 08 propelled Adele and her music into the stratosphere of US music circles, with chart-topping singles and albums following. Her performance on the show made her in America, and one of the songs she reprised that Saturday night was this... Yes, Adele and Chasing Pavements. And here on LMFM Radio, we're one of the first stations in Ireland to play that song regularly. And it was from her first album, their debut album, 19. And it was a huge hit at the time. And the Adele story continues on Late Lunch tomorrow. Look, I wanted to say thank you for your support for my 40 days and nights for Slav. I am walking at least 40 minutes for 40 days for this young man. And I've given the old alcohol the heave-ho as well. And all I say 
leave and the kilometres I walk, I will be making a contribution personally to his fund at the end of the 40 days. And I thank you all for your kindness towards him. And I know his mum, Nadia, has been on uh, social media, LMFM's Facebook, thanking us as well. And we're delighted to help Nadia, to be honest. He's a young fella. He's 13. I met him here three years ago. He's on a cancer journey and it is really, really tough. And for me to do 40 days and nights is simply... Nothing compared to what Slav has been through. If you can help, GoFundMe.com. Oxygen for Slav is where you can make the contributions. I want to say a big thank you to our Danny, who's left in a very generous contribution, which I will ensure goes on the GoFundMe. Thank you so much, Danny, for that. Much appreciated. And to all the people who've been commenting on our social media. Look, there are so many. Michelle Sweeney, Mags, Aspel, Eamon Landy is there. I mentioned Nadia, who's been on to us. Marie Richardson, you're too kind, Marie, with your words there. Kate Fox, Sinead Boylan. And it just goes on and on. I thank you indeed for your support. It's encouraging me as well to uh, keep going every day. And I'm enjoying it. I have to say I'm enjoying it. And when I walk, I think of Slav and I pray for him. And uh, your donations, they mean an awful lot to this young guy. And thank you again. Thank you for all your wonderful, kind support. And with this in mind, my next guest is joining me to talk a bit. I got a new pair of shoes yesterday. They're amazing. But if you're walking and you're having a little bit of trouble with the old joints and time is telling, well, you'll want to stay with us because Paddy Mulligan is here next. He's the man behind Compass Physio and Enfield and Kilcock and he's been my guest on the show on a number of occasions and I need him today. Paddy, welcome back to Late Lunch, Paddy Mulligan. Jerry, good chatting to you, thank you. And good talking to you too. Well look, you've sent me your five tips uh, for starting exercise and already I've contravened number one, build up gradually. You see, I'm doing this 40 days and nights for a young fella called Slav and I started, it'll be a week today and I'm doing 40 minutes walking each day at least and off I went, Paddy with the wrong shoes. I know, I know, Jerry. Look, it, it, it's a common mistake and I, I, I know we chatted briefly but I suppose, yeah, we said... If we're going to chat about footwear, I suppose um super important that we get the right footwear because, look, as, as bad as things are at the moment, we need to make sure that we don't get injured. We don't want to get in you know, day 10, day 12 and pick up an injury. So a couple of bits of bobs, Jerry, from my point of view, and a little test that I'd say to people maybe at home is if we're looking at the type of shoes, I mightn't pick out any brands in particular, but if you were to pick up your runner and your shoe and you could grab the toe of it and the top of it and the back of it, and if you were to try and push it together, if it folds together and it's really kind of soft and floppy, potentially that shoe might not offer you enough support. Okay? Good point. And I, and I know that you went out and bought yourself a nice uh, jazzy pair of shoes. <laughs> I have a Pegasus, Nike Pegasus. There you go. They're good, Paddy. They're good. Good, they're good. And look, Jerry, you can feel the difference from, from walking with a nice oh, shoe. Oh, Paddy, a, Paddy. A I said cushion. it was like having tyres in a car and none. That was the difference. Exactly. I, I, I think we talked about it, you know, uh, having a good mattress and a good pair of shoes is super important because we spend most of our time in, in one or the other. Um, and just with walking, Jerry, um, we normally recommend if you can, you'd have two pairs of shoes. So you have your walking shoes and then you have your general day-to-day shoes. And there's a, a general rule of thumb that most people don't follow, which is about 500 miles of uh, mileage is, is the kind of threshold for, for a decent pair of shoes. And just to keep an eye on the bottom of them, because often what can happen is they can wear on one side. And if you think of it as being like a bit of a foundation uh, for everything above it, for knees, hips and back, if it's worn on one side and we're rolling in, then that's going to cause problems 
uh, further down the line. Okay, so that is really strong advice. The footwear is essential. If you can bend it, it's wrong. Uh, Keep an eye on it for wear and tear. 500 miles the limit. Talk to me about, uh, just to go back to the first point, about pacing and building up. I went off at a fair pace as well, but you can start slowly and still get the 40 minutes in, can't you? You can, you can, of course. And I think it's, it's, you know, we have our Fitbits, we have our iPhones, we have all these metrics of things, you know. And, and, and I probably reference um, a little sketch. I think uh, Rory Stories did one about everyone trying to hit their 10,000 steps. Mm. And, and it's great. But I think what we need to think about is over a period of time. So if we looked at over the course of a week, you know, rather than just, OK, I'm going to hit 10,000 every day. And if we think of over the course of the week, if you've gone from maybe doing an average of 5,000 a day, and then you suddenly you've reached 10,000. That's when the, the risk of injury goes up a little bit. So it might end up with a sore Achilles or sore heel or a tight calf or tight hamstring. So it's looking at our apps, looking at a little Fitbit and just tracking it. And the one variable, you can either increase the number of steps or we can walk that little bit faster. So if you're doing your 5K loop, did you cover it in 40 minutes? And the next time you might cover it in 39 minutes, 38 minutes. So just tweaking it a little bit yes. each time. And that will keep things yeah, relatively safe. Let me come back to the footwear. Something I forgot altogether to ask you about. What about socks? Oh, yeah. Jeepers. That, that's one of the big things. So, um, sign of me getting old, uh, Jerry. but everyone loves these little kind of small, you know, little tiny little socks, you know, barely, yeah. barely socks. And what we see in sports and what people who come into the clinic as well is that can be the catalyst to develop, you know, a callus or a corn or a blister which can end up with kind of trips to the podiatrist, can end up with a sore foot and again moving differently. So a good pair of socks, good thick pair of socks, it's worth spending a couple of extra euro on a pair of socks. Um, too often we see people with these tiny you know, light socks and they just own off with the support there. And also you can get socks if you're running with that extra little bit of grip so your foot isn't sliding around the shoe. Yeah. And the other thing, Jerry, is tie your laces. Mm. I know it might seem like the simplest thing, mm. especially with younger people. They just, you know, pop the shoe in and out. I'll save myself 10 seconds, but actually open up, double knot it, and have a good, um, good the laces. Very, nice. very important. Now, how important is it to warm up and cool down? It is important. I think, look, best way in the world, we don't all do it. Um, from a physio, from a, a chartered physiotherapist point of view, the evidence would say that if we warm up and do something dynamic, and Jerry, that could be as simple as we might do 10, 12 squats. It could be some lunges, a few step-ups, and just some calf raises to up and down the toes. So if you did maybe 10 or 12 of them two times round, yep. that'll get some extra blood flow into the tissues. You could progress that on. You could add in maybe some squats with some arm movements, some lunges with a twist, a step-up, bring your knee up, or we might do calf raises on one leg. Something as simple as that will get everything pumping. Look, if you're going for a little bit of a walk, you're unlikely to... Um, you're less likely to pull a muscle. But if we start to break into our jog or we're doing our couch to 5K, again, the evidence will say a little bit of a warm-up will help reduce that risk. What we don't want is to get to day 20, day 21, pull a muscle, and then, yep. you know, we, we miss out. That's what I don't want. That's why I'm talking exactly. to you. And cool exactly. down. Same when you come back. Just a few exercises on that and take your time. Yeah, look, again, day like today, you've, you've made the effort. You've got out. Last morning, you come in, you put the feet up, have a cup of tea. Take three or four minutes do your little stretches. It's different for afterwards. The kind of evidence would say we do our, our longer stretches. That might be 20 to 30 second holds. So the moment we sit back as if we're going to sit onto a chair, that's a nice one for the hamstring. We're standing at the wall as if we're pushing the wall away and we have our back leg on, on the ground. That'll stretch the calf. Hold them for 30 seconds and maybe do it twice each leg. It takes three or four minutes. And again, it'll just help the tissues cool down. And it means they mightn't be as tight for when we go again tomorrow.
Is it important, you know, uh, the recovery when you when you're finished your walk or whatever, in terms of uh, taking on board fluids and you know what to eat? Should you have your say? Yesterday evening, I came in, went out. What time? About quarter past five. Got in about twenty past six. Hopped in yeah. the shower, came down, then cooked my main meal of the day and had it. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. Look, the, the, if we're going for the optimal, within kind of twenty minutes of finishing exercise, we want to take in our our carbs and our protein. So that could be, you know, be a pasta and chicken or whatever you're having for your dinner, your main kind of meal. So it's just thinking of often people miss out on the fluids. That's the bit that we end up in a kind of dehydrated state. So even if you get in, you have a little snack there, it might be a healthy protein bar, you have your little drink of water and then you go off and have your shower and come back down for your main meal. So just making sure that we, the body needs that fuel. Mm. and um, it's super important to get it as quickly as we can after we finish exercise. Okay, and take on board liquids, just final point. Yes, yeah. Um, look, the general rule of thumb, you know, two to three litres a day, coffee and tea are diuretics, so they don't count, unfortunately. Um, so let's let's try and think of, um, you know, taking our water on board, there's plenty of water outside today, and you might just add in something just to give it an extra little bit of taste, but... Um, fluids are so important and, and, and people miss out on that Paddy you've been brilliant you've given me a lot of food for thought and I'm going to implement exactly what you said I'll talk to you again before this uh, 40 days and nights are over I really appreciate your advice and just to remind you again Paddy Compass Physio in Enfield and Kilcock check him out thank you for joining me Paddy Cool. Thanks, Terry. Take care of yourself. A great guy there, and he's given me some real pointers there. I hope it helped you too. Anyway, that's a lot on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Tomorrow, Pat Coldrick, he plays the guitar. Wait until you hear what this man has done during lockdown. Nothing to do with music or the guitar, even though he is still playing. Sinead Kelly, our vet, is with us. So if you have a question about your pet or pooch or pussycat, let us know. And Kel Gallivan will be on late lunch tomorrow. All the financial advisors, mostly, well, I think 99% of them I've talked over the years. Amen. No, Kel is in this business and she's brilliant. She's with me tomorrow on the show. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Fantastic music. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Take care of yourselves. Wild weather out there this evening. See you tomorrow 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.